There's been an amazing recurring theme in many of these conversations, where someone who wasn't doing an overt ministry before found God giving them a new ministry amidst their suffering. In fact, throughout this series, we've learned of so many amazing ministries that are meeting people in the midst of their suffering. But what happens if you are already in the midst of an amazing ministry and your suffering stops it? That's been the recent story of my good friend, Dan Coe. I first met Dan in 2007 when he played a pivotal role in one of the important spiritual moments in my life, a story which you can hear on my episode of The Jar Podcast if you're interested. A number of years ago, God put it on Dan's heart to go and serve overseas with his family. And they actually got to a place where they saw that ministry thriving until suddenly unexpected suffering changed everything. And yet, what Dan and his wife have discovered is a new ministry in the midst. You're listening to episode 158 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for my friend Dan, uh, for our long, long friendship, uh, for the way that you've orchestrated for us to even have this conversation now. And we thank you that you already know what it is you want to do. And so we want to release ourselves to you. We want to release our thoughts, our words, our responses, our questions. We want to give it all to you so that you're glorified and honored, but also we know you could do abundantly more through it. We pray against technical issues. We pray for the audio. We pray for the internet because we don't want anything to get in the way of what you want to do, but we also entrust it to you. So be glorified, be honored, and we thank you for the privilege of serving you in this way. I always pray in most holy and precious name. Amen. So Dan, I know you and I've known you since 2007, but other people might not know you. So as we start this conversation, what would you want people to know about who you are? Sure. Well, first off, gratefully rescued by King Jesus a little bit before you and I met Paul. So in early 20s, rescued out of a pretty chaotic, rebellious, tumultuous previous decade from the time I was in early youth till early 20s, but rescued at an early age. Really, the Lord gave me a heart early for outreach and to share what he'd done in my life. And ultimately, as I became more, I guess, biblically literate to share the gospel <laughs> in a more clear way. So yeah, I mean, I called to ministry early on, an interesting cross-culture ministry. That's how I met you, serving in the inner cities there in Wilmington. But ultimately, it led to me going across borders and ultimately across the Atlantic. In 2008 was my first trip doing so. And there I met a woman who is now my wife, Julia. She hails from Germany. She and I met on Mount Carmel Mm. in Israel in 2008. We married in 2011 in Germany, and we began to build our family in Tennessee for about five years. And then in 2017, we returned to the Middle East to serve in church planting, more or less, as the ultimate goal of what we do is the passion of our hearts and to see congregations planted among unreached people groups. So we had the opportunity to do that back in Israel, where we'd originally met. And so that's the elevator version of the past at least 17, I guess, years of my life. So since 2017, my family, we're now a family of six, went out as a family of four to Israel. And then we we added two more to the clan while we were there. That's been our world since 2017 is serving out there until we had a, some upheaval that occurred. And we'll get into that, I guess, Paul, yeah. uh, here throughout our conversation. But in late 2021, there was a turn of events that led us back to the States where we presently find ourselves out of Nashville. We're in the greater Nashville area. Yeah. It's funny you said, here's the elevator pitch, but there's a lot in there, right? There's so much, we could have multiple conversations and 
you're one of those fun friendships. Like there's a lot of reasons you can have a long-term friendship with someone, but you and I didn't grow up together. We've actually, in the course of the time that we've known each other, we've barely seen each other, really. <laughs> like true. we were in close proximity for a summer and prayer partners during our time at Urban Promise. And, you know, you were one of the groomsmen in my wedding and we've had touch points. But that's what I love is that geography doesn't have to be the determining factor for how God can use a relationship. In fact, the upheaval that you talked about has connected us more because I've had the privilege of being able to walk alongside this new journey that y'all are on and pray for you. So yeah, tell me a little bit about this season of upheaval. What happened that totally changed what your life looked like? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll go back to maybe summer 2021. I, I can recall being involved in some discipling relationships with new believers where we were serving. And I can recall having a conversation, just working through the Bible and being asked questions about the role of suffering in a believer's life and should Christians suffer? Is it really God's will that they do so, that they would undergo sickness, et cetera, et cetera? And I would walk with these young men, walk through what I believe to be a biblical theology of suffering and share with them what I believe still to this day is what the Bible teaches on suffering. However, I would often give the disclaimer and I would say, brothers, listen, what I'm telling you, I believe to be true propositionally. Mm -hmm. However, experientially, I can't say that I've walked through this, but I can tell you that all of my heroes in the faith, whether they're found in the pages of scripture or whether in the annals of church history, there's one thing that seems to bind them together. And that is some incredible adversity that they've undergone. But I myself, at that time, I was 38. So I would say to them, I'm 38 years old. And by and large, my family has been spared. God has been merciful. There's been no premature deaths. You know, any suffering that I have endured has largely been, you know, self-inflicted mm -hmm. <laughs> because of my own foolish choices in my, in my rebellious youth or something like that. It was interesting how I was working through these things and having these conversations in the summer of 2021, which was at a time when my wife was pregnant with our fourth child, our second born son. And it was at that time that she had begun to notice a lump in her breast and it caused some concern, but of course she was pregnant. And so we know that changes happen in the body when one is pregnant. Ultimately, that lump was, they conducted an ultrasound in that last trimester of her pregnancy. They did not sound an alarm at that time. However, they said to follow up in three months. So that puts us up to October of 2021. We get a biopsy and ultimately that was October 13th, 2021. We get a biopsy and then five days later, we're called into our doctor's office. You know, the gavel drops at that time and he tells us that we have cancer. Julia and our world just began to seemingly spin out of control. I mean, it was just everything was, it was like a sucker punch. You're just walking along. Things are going well. We had really stepped into a relatively fruitful time of ministry. Mm -hmm. Really, we'd seen a wave of where God was at work and we had been able to catch that wave. God in his grace allowed us to step into something really special in our ministry context. And so this was such a shock. Again, a sucker punch, I think is the most apt way to describe yeah. you know, what took place at that time. So our, our world was sent into upheaval on October 18th, 2021. We scrambled within six days. We had acquired an emergency passport for our new baby. And we were all able to board a plane on October 24th, 2021. And we returned to the States. We left a house behind. We left a ministry behind. We left a world that we had been building for five years, a life that we built for five years behind. And yeah, and just we're in utter shock. And, and then we, we got here and began to fight this cancer battle, mm -hmm. which has been one battle after another. Yeah. It's been a series of battles in the greater war that's taking place for Julia's health and for her life. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're talking about 2021 and the battle is still going. And so it's this long-term thing. And I do think it's really interesting that you were diving into the idea of suffering. You had a cognizance to recognize that you believed it, 
but you hadn't necessarily experienced it to the depth at which you were discussing it. And then you find yourself in this season of suffering. The question that kept popping my mind is, in everything that you knew and believed about how God works in suffering, what were some of the moments in the midst of this current journey that really forced you to step back or to think deeper or to carry the weight of what you had confidently shared, but now you're having to live out? Yeah, I think with each setback, I told somebody at the beginning of this journey, I told my pastor locally in the Nashville area, I said, it felt as if everything that we're praying for, we're getting the opposite results. You know, for instance, we prayed, number one, it wouldn't be cancer. Well, it was. Mm -hmm. We prayed that it wouldn't have entered into the lymph nodes. Well, it had. But then, of course, we're praying as Julia begins to undergo treatment. We're praying that these treatments are effective. This is back November 2021 when she began that first regiment. She cruised through, you know, five months of chemo. I mean, relatively speaking, her body sustained the treatments well. And so we were filled with hope that these treatments were working. However, this next setback that we encountered was in April, where I can recall very vividly, we're returning home from hiking, we're celebrating really the end of a chemo. When you go through chemo infusions, you ring this bell at Vanderbilt, where we're receiving treatments you do anyways, you ring this bell, you celebrate. I did a video of it. I sent it out to our supporters, letting them know, hey, Julie, we've crossed this threshold. You know, we're, we're beginning to see daylight. On the way back home from that state park with my family, we get a call from our surgeon. She has reviewed our post-chemo imaging that Julia had undergone, and she just sounds the alarm. She expresses pretty grave concern over what she had seen, and they rushed Julia to the OR. Two weeks after her chemo had been completed, she was in the surgery room under the knife. And then at that time, they discovered that instead of there having been a reduction in the cancer, there had been 60% growth. Mm -hmm. So here we are. We're five months into chemo. And we discovered that there's been a 60% growth in the cancer. There's another pathology of cancer altogether that they've discovered that wasn't there back at the time of the original diagnosis. So this was shocking. I thought it was hard in October to get the report, but I will say what we encountered in April 2022, you know, I didn't anticipate it would get any darker than it did at that time. It was just heavy. And so again, you're brought to this place where, and I'm so grateful we have the scriptures in which we can be anchored. But this reality, I I have my Bible open right now to 2 Corinthians 1, because this has been a text that I have been anchored in from the beginning of this journey. And in this text, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul is speaking about the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. And he's speaking about the fact that in our affliction, God comforts us so that we're enabled to comfort others. And I knew that this passage existed. So early on, I remember referring to it. But what I was not familiar with in this passage is where Paul begins to unpack verse 8 for us about the extremity, about the degree of suffering that he had undergone. And he describes it. This is in 2 Corinthians 1, the second part of verse 8. He says, I was so early burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Mm-hmm. You ask, when did I feel it? I would say that I have felt this utter dependency on the Lord, this reality that, man, I'm someone who likes to check the boxes. I'm someone who likes to forward think and to plan for our future and to really have control. Mm. (laughs) And this is just, I've been stripped of all illusions of control that I had, which is a good thing because God is teaching me what Paul the Apostle, the greatest missionary that ever lived, said here, God was teaching me through this incredible affliction where it was as if I've received the sentence of death. He was teaching me to rely not on myself, but on God who raises the dead. And so I think in October at the time of the original diagnosis, April at the time where we had the surgeon sound the alarm, post-surgery where they tell me, hey, Dan, we were not able to get all of the cancer out. Mm -hmm. So there was yet another setback, another disheartening conversation that we had with the doctor. 
in all this, the Lord is saying, are you going to rely on me? Do you realize that I am interested in stripping you of all these notions of self-sufficiency? Like my grace is sufficient for you. You know, these passages and these realities that, again, I adhered to, that I ascended to mentally, Mm -hmm. suddenly I'm having to step into the pages of Scripture and say, what do I really believe about the character of God? What do I really believe about what is revealed of God in the Scriptures? Am I ready to walk this out? And it's been an incredible challenge. But again, if that's not our bedrock, if our bedrock isn't the character of God and his promises, I don't know how we endure these sort of difficulties because, put it this way, we felt this way, what Paul says, as if burdened beyond our strength, despairing of life itself, as if we've received the sentence of death. That is how we felt time after time. So April was one setback. I could tell about other setbacks since then. We encountered others in September and then again in December of this most recent, of 2022, where again, every time we think we've turned a corner, as we had back in April, we're just met with another setback and God's bringing us back to this place. Trust me. This is like elementary, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> Lean not on your own understanding, you know, and verses we memorize when we first come to faith, but then you're forced into this situation where it's like, okay, memorization isn't enough. It's the internalization of these truths and then the application as we walk through incredible difficulty. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is somebody could hear your story and they can wrestle with this hard question that y'all probably wrestled with often. You know, we've been trying to seek God. We've been trying to live for God. And so why is this happening to us? And you've kind of answered that question in some ways, that God loved you so much, he wanted you to see him more deeply, to understand him more fully, to teach you that it's not about your capacity because you can get to the end of yourself and God can show up in powerful ways. But I actually was thinking about something different around this idea of you all doing ministry because I've had a number of conversations with folks who entered a season of suffering and that led to a new ministry. They were doing something before, doing a normal job before, doing whatever before, but ministry was birthed out of that. And you're finding yourself in a seemingly different place in that you were actually in the midst of a robust, thriving ministry. You had invested years into this and you were seeing things starting to happen and you had to pick up and leave. And somebody could hear that and say, man, they were really doing ministry in a deep way and then they had to stop. My question is, obviously God didn't call you out of ministry. He just invited you out of that space. What are you discerning is the new ministry space that God has invited you to over the last year and a half? Yeah, well, I think our mission field has changed to the hospital rooms, to the infusion clinics. Our people group has turned into the oncology team, the infusion nurses, the fellow patients. It's really interesting, but also the people that just come out of the woodworks. I mean, now we're able to identify what Paul says here again. I mean, it's as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We know that we're receiving this abundance of comfort to the measure of our suffering. We receive this comfort from Christ that enables us to then move out with compassion. Anybody that knows my wife can meet her, speak with her for a few minutes, but in all likelihood, they're going to start crying. Mm-hmm. You know, within that first conversation, she just has this ability to enter into people's pain and struggle, and she'll be crying too. She just has this gift of mercy. That's her spiritual gifting. It's the way God has wired her, but that's not my natural disposition at all. So I think what this has done, though, is, you know, God is working in me. Yeah this compassion of his son. We see the Lord filled with compassion, broken over sin and the effects thereof, right? Throughout the pages of scripture, broken over the brokenness of of his people in this fallen world. And 
whereas I could minister to people before and I could like, if they would share about their suffering that they were undergoing, man, maybe I could sympathize to a certain degree and express some sympathy for them, compassion for them. And I wasn't empathizing. I didn't feel what they were feeling, but now I can go and I can sit in a, you know, in a small group setting and somebody just share about any number of things that are problematic in their life. And man, I just get weepy. Mm. So I think God is working in me this compassion. Is he, con- what is he after? I mean, Romans eight twenty eight is a text everyone loves to refer to during times of difficulty and rightly so, you know, God works all things together for our good, but then it's followed by eight twenty nine, which speaks about what that good is. And that's that we'd be conformed to the image of his son. Like that is what God is after. He's after conforming us to the image of Jesus. Mm. And so I believe that this season is a season number one in which God is ministering to me into my life in a way that we've never been ministered to before. And it's enabling us to move out with compassion, in particular me, Julia, again, as I said, already does so, but it's increasing her compassion as well. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be a, what did he say? You know, the, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. He wants us to be like his son, gentle and lowly of heart. You know, what can I say? So the ministry looks different. It's happening in the context of the hospitals, in the context of these treatment centers. It's happening in the context of the local church and in our broader community, but I believe it's also a preparatory time for us to be able to go back, God willing, in His time to even to oversee service again, if that's what He has for us, more effectively. I mean, frankly, we live in a context out there where everyone's living with PTSD, where everyone has undergone some sort of trauma. You know? And this, I think, is going to, it is enabling us to step into their pain in a new way. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is it makes me think about how some of the stories we think about most often of Jesus's ministry. Some of the stories that we celebrate most robustly are the big moments, you know, the big crowds and everyone's getting healed or everyone's getting fed, these big, big things. And those happen and those were beautiful. And you were seeing this robust ministry that God had invited you to. And then there are these stories where Jesus meets a singular person on a road, does something powerful, and then tells the person not to tell anyone what he did, right? That there can be these small moments that are just as powerful, just as important, just as revealing of who God is and what he intends to do as those huge things. And so you're having these moments where you're sitting in a waiting room and now there's someone next to you that you can tell they are in a similar space of suffering. And there's this connection that's able to happen, a singular moment in a small room that a book won't get written about. And yet the spiritual seeds that could be planted the fruit that could come from that that you may never see. I mean, it causes us to step back and really rethink what ministry is, what we're being invited to. Because the ministry you're in now not only looks different, but you're having to operate from a very different place, not from a place of strength and confidence, but a place of feeling like, man, we're at the end of ourselves. And all we have is God. And we're learning to know that God is enough. And God works even if your capacity has been sapped. Yeah. Man, it's just a beautiful, beautiful invitation. Just to go back to 2 Corinthians, I mean, this is the most transparent letter of Paul, and it is arguably the letter in which we find, you know, most of the ink is spilled on the topic of suffering, and he's describing his own, but you see when he describes it, man, he doesn't hide the fact that it's difficult. He's been utterly honest, even in that first chapter, he tells the Corinthians, I don't want you to be unaware. Like, I want to be utterly honest with you. I am no superhero immune to adversity. On the contrary, like, I have suffered terribly. Like, I was convinced that this was it. It was over for me. I could not bear this burden, but I learned through that to rely on 
around God. And then as you just follow, he records these sufferings that he endured. But then you get to the end of that letter and that famous thorn in the flesh passage, mm-hmm. he's able to, again, identify what God is doing. Like he looks past, even in that thorn in the flesh passage where he identifies this element of satanic activity. He says there's this messenger of Satan that is at play here, but he's able to look past that to the divine purpose. And he says, look, I recognize this is something whereby God is preventing me from becoming conceited. All this happens so as to keep me from becoming conceited. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to describe how God is teaching him about the sufficiency of his own grace and about how God's power is made perfect in his weakness, the word you use, right? And then he goes on to celebrate and boast in his weakness. I mean, this is counterintuitive, right? You're right. In ministry, like, because I had stepped into the season of fruitfulness, but I give God all the glory for, I, I say I give God all the glory for, but if I'm honest, I can recognize that component of like, wait a second, was I or have I or am I giving God all the glory? Or do I somehow think I can attribute any of this to myself? Because I can't. (laughs) Like, it is 100% the Lord's work. It is 100% the Lord's doing. And God forbid that I let it feed my pride. I know how prone my own heart is toward pride and conceit. And it is to trust in myself. So these are just like, again, they're fundamental things that at least for someone as hard-headed apparently as I am, Paul, (laughs) you know, that this is what has been required and God is good. And so I can say, as painful as this process has been, it has been a gift. And I know some people, depending on where they maybe are in their theology, would say, how can you say that? This is a curse. And it's like, no, again, Paul recognized it as a gift. Job was able to say, after the end of his incredibly, unbelievably painful journey that he went through, he's able to say, you know what, this God, this is Job 42, 6, I think it is, or 7. He says, you know, the God that I'd heard about with my ears, now I've seen him with my eyes. I love your podcast. Where did you see God? Mm. You know, Job's able to look back and say, all this stuff I've undergone, man, now I see God in a way that I had never seen him before. And that's powerful. I can tell you that Julie and I have entered into some of the greatest times of intimacy with the Lord and with one another. Again, that, that moving from propositional understanding to experiential, walking out of the truths of Scripture, entering into the story of this great cloud of witnesses that we're told about in a new way. I don't wish suffering upon anybody. I never wished it upon myself. But when we can see past the pain, see past, again, that element, which is, I don't dismiss it at all, the element of like spiritual warfare and this relentless enemy that we all have. But you look past that to the divine purpose and you can say, man, this is a gift. God is good. The psalmist said, it is good that you've afflicted me, that I might learn your statutes. (laughs) And we see that throughout the pages of Scripture. And again, backtrack to July 2021 and summer 2021, as I'm discipling these men, I could say this to them, but man, it was almost like I could say it with my lips, but in my heart, Mm -hmm. it was a reality that I did not know. And so God's brought me into that. Don't get me wrong. I'm waiting for that way of escape, right? No temptation has overtaken you except what what is common to man. And with every one of them, he gives you a way of escape. So I'm waiting for that deliverance. I'm waiting for that healing in my wife's body. I do not desire that this get any darker, as I said before, than it's already been. And I don't want to pretend like this has been my posture throughout. There have been times of utter despair. There have been times of borderline depression. I don't know what time you clinically diagnose someone as depressed, but I have battled in ways. And I think that's really where the spiritual battle, speaking of the demonic and the satanic elements here, I think that's really where the battle has taken place is battling to believe. It's the fight of faith. It's battling to hang on to these promises Mm -hmm. and remind myself continually of who God is, because we know that's where Satan gets in there. That's been the lie and the accusation from the beginning. It's to bring into question 
God's goodness and it's bringing the question the veracity of his word. Yeah. That's where the battle has been for myself. And I think for my wife as well, I could speak for her. So I don't want to pretend like, I mean, the pain has been real just dealing with the doctors, but also that battle daily yeah. for the faith to hang on to hope, to hang on to faith and to know that God's in control. Yeah. That's an intense battle to fight. Yeah. And we haven't touched on it too much, but the other reality of what was lost and what changed. I mean, you had a life, you had a ministry, and the other thing that you're sitting with while you are navigating pain and doctor's appointments is a mourning for what was left behind. But the other thing, too, that's interesting when we're talking about ministry and what God's invited you to in ministry is you represent something that I've had a few guests that also represented. It's this caregiver piece. I've heard a lot of stories from the people who actually experienced the suffering directly, but I've occasionally gotten to talk with someone who they didn't have the cancer or they didn't have the thing, and yet they were also on that journey. And so you have this ministry that always existed, but now you're being called to it more robustly of what it means to serve as a father, what it means to serve as a husband. Because before you were doing that, but also you were freed because of health to go and have Bible studies with other people, go and serve in these spaces. But now a lot of your time has to go to being there for your wife, especially when she's in her hardest moments, being there with your kids when she's having to just rest. And so tell me about how that ministry that always existed is now something that is more robust. Yeah. Well, it's good to be reminded even of the gospel in this way. Somebody gave a synopsis of the gospel like this to me, and I loved it. He said, you know, the gospel is that the prince came to slay the dragon and to rescue his bride. <laughs> you know, it's the fairy tale that's true. I think Tolkien said, right? It's the true fairy tale. But you see how much he prizes his bride. And you know that he calls us to that, Ephesians 5. And for me, yeah, it's easy to overlook. I think anyone that's in the ministry, Paul, you could probably attest to this as well. It is frankly often easier to go out and to sit with a brother that's struggling or to or go into discipleship, even to enter into their pain, because you know there's an expiration on that time mm -hmm. in a sense, right? You know that, man, I've got a two-hour block here to spend with this guy, or, or even to go out maybe to do, in our case, on the field, we were even going out to do evangelistic outreaches, and we might meet with some hostility doing so. But, you know, it's over. I get to go home after that. You know, God willing, mm -hmm. <laughs> I get to go home after that. You know, but when I go home, like these realities remain. These are the ones you face when you wake up in the morning and your kids, you know, you multiple children, each of them have their own unique challenges and demands and seasons of life that they're going through. And you got your wife who you're lying down to waiting, waking up next to. But when we have that concern for our bride, as Christ has for the church, who, I mean, man, went to all links in order to rescue her. I just think to be reminded of the gospel continually is critical for that. I need to be reminded of it and how he prizes his bride and how this is, in fact, his priority. And it's to be my priority above all other ministry. And so it's easier said than done mm -hmm. because I still often, and since I've been here, I'll be honest with you, I've tried to recreate at times what I had out there and it's just not worked out. I'm grateful the Lord has shut that door to remind me like, Dan, like this is another season in which I want to minister to you and I want to minister through you to your bride, mm -hmm. to your children. Because they're watching, your children are watching you, and your bride needs you right now. And this is a time that the two of you together can, as I said before, enter more intimately into relationship with me, but with one another as well. And so I believe God has done that. I believe I can speak for Julia when I say that he has brought us closer together through this than we've ever been. I think our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. And that's only by the grace of God. We've heard stories, Paul. 
Uh, we heard a story recently of a woman whose husband left her. She battled an aggressive late stage cancer. And in the middle of all that, she returns from having gone to a treatment center outside of her state only to return to find that her husband didn't love her anymore. Mm. And you hear these stories. And for him as a caretaker, no doubt the struggle was very, very real. I don't know the full story, but it just sounds like he grew weary. Yeah. This isn't what he signed up for. Whereas in fact it is, right? What do we say in, in our vows, right? We promise that whether in sickness or in health, right? Whether in celebration or suffering mm-hmm. is how it was worded. Actually, we wrote our own vows. So what I said to Julie at that time, whether celebration or suffering, I'm going to stand with you. And so that's what the Lord does for his bride, man. He watches. And I thought about this often, Paul, how the Lord watches his bride suffer. Mm. I mean, you think about it, man. We're in America or in most of our Western context, we don't experience the degree of suffering that our brothers and sisters right now are suffering. And for me, it's been really healthy and helpful to think about our persecuted brothers and sisters. I've done that at different seasons in my life, but it's been helpful to consider those who had daughters kidnapped this week by Boko Haram in Nigeria or in Chad. It's been helpful to consider those who live under the heavy hand of radical Islam in Afghanistan or wherever they are. And my brothers and sisters who are putting it all on the line day after day, not to mention those who go out to those contexts from the shores of America or from other nations. And they say, man, I'm going to leave it all behind so I can get the gospel to these people who are living in the shadow of terror mm-hmm. or who are living day after day, not knowing where bread's going to come from or whatever. Right. And so for me, it's been helpful. Man, Jesus loves his bride. And I'm to love mine. Even in watching her in this pain, she's beautiful. The bride of Christ is beautiful. My bride is beautiful. There's nothing. She bears in her body right now, quite literally, the scars of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> you know, she has been marred. And yet she's more beautiful. She remains my standard of beauty. Mm. And it's still, even as much as I love her and adore her, it's still the palest reflection of the Lord's love for his church. Mm -hmm. And so again, all of this, Paul, I'd say, as we step into suffering, uh, again, I think it's just so important that we are so thoroughly saturated in who God is and what the gospel message is and what he's promised what he's done and what he's promised. And I think when we do that, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Ministry's changed. We've had challenges. We have challenges in our marriage at times, challenges with our kids. I got kids that are ages 17 months up to 10 years. So again, each of them have their own unique challenges. So it's, it's overwhelming at times to discern what is their need? What is this one's need? What is that one's need? And trying to discern that is not easy, but again, that's where we need to be, you know, bathing all this in prayer, but also having community within our local churches and having those wiser than us who walked before us to help us in that, having the resources that the body of Christ provides alongside us, because parenting is already a challenge. And if my children through this has added to the challenge for sure. So I'm still trying to figure out that piece. I will say though, in the middle of this season, just to celebrate what God has done, I was able to baptize my two oldest girls. Mm. And so they both profess their faith in Christ. And I was able to baptize them back in the summer of 2022. And so, you know, reason to celebrate in the midst of a difficult time as a family yeah. and in terms of what the Lord is doing in my children. And I believe this is a formative time in their lives that they'll look back upon. That's what I pray anyways. It's a time where they had to own their faith and they had to deal with issues that I never dealt with when I was eight and 10 years old, mm-hmm. you know? So I pray it's a time that God is maturing them and bringing them into really a deeper personal knowledge of our Savior. Yeah. Because you keep coming back to it, this idea that the more deeply we know and understand and seek God, the more access we get to realities that we just couldn't have gotten to on our own. Because the story you told about that husband, the reality is some things can be too hard for us. Some things can take us to our limit. And if all you've got is yourself, then what happens when you hit that limit? Well, for him, he hit that limit and felt like there was no way forward. But when you've hit that limit where it's like, 
this is too heartbreaking. This is too frustrating. I feel too depressed. I, you were able to fall back onto this God who loves you deeply, loves your wife more deeply than you love her, loves your kids more deeply than you love them, and carried you through. What's so beautiful about what you just shared with your daughters is, you know, you're right. A lot of us grew up hearing of the gospel, hearing of God and his love, but we often received it in a very friendly way, very safe way, because typically Christians, we don't like to talk about suffering. We don't like to talk about hardship, at least not publicly. We don't like to share it with our kids. We want to protect them on a good level, or we don't want to show our brokenness on an unhealthy level. But your kids came to this decision of wanting to be baptized, not because of a Sunday school faith, but because they saw their parents continuing to believe in God, even though he kept not answering prayers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The perception of it. We, mm-hmm. we want there to not be cancer. Ah, oh, there's cancer. We want this to be the answer. We're going to go celebrate on a hike. Ah, oh. and yet y'all still keep trusting this God who's not giving you what you asked him for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because God knows more what it is that you need, that God is actually trying to do abundantly more than you could ask for or imagine. And this is the faith that they have now had to walk through, wrestle through, and decided to follow. And, you know, they're 10, so their journey is going to continue. Mm -hmm. They're going to have moments like you did where they have a grasp on truth, like you did that summer of 2021, that they're going to have to go deeper into, that God's going to invite them to really press into and get serious about it. But man, the foundation they have. And this is what's so beautiful. You know, I want to name and affirm you. Because there is something hard about those who are in full-time ministry that isn't talked about often, and it's the pressure to perform. It's the pressure to demonstrate fruit, especially if somebody's having to raise support. There's this pressure. I've got to make sure people know that it's worth giving to this. I've got to make sure that people know that there is value to what I'm doing. And in the worst of moments, you could feel like you've got to show outcomes. And that could be particularly hard for someone like you who was serving in a ministry for years that now is doing something that doesn't have those outcomes from an outside point of view, right? Mm-hmm. That isn't going into the city and having these conversations that put you at risk. But what you're discovering is what we've been talking about, that your role as ambassador of Christ never stopped. Your wife's role as ambassador of Christ never stopped. It's just the location and the people <laughs> in which you're living that out has changed. And even if you can't say, oh, we formed this group and now there's this many people who have come and it's this percentage more than last time. Man, what God is doing through the oncologist, what God is doing through relationships with people in the waiting room, what God is doing through how people are journeying with you and being challenged and encouraged in their faith because of your transparency and going back to how your kids' lives are being transformed because of this journey. Man, That is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ministry. And so I wanted to encourage you because you're just trying to continue to love God and love others, to love God and love your wife and your kids, even though time after time after time, you're getting that sucker punch. But thank goodness there is this all-knowing, all-loving, powerful God that is journeying with you, that was and is and is to come. And there will come a time where even if you couldn't write an update letter (laughs) that could capture the masses based on things, because some of the stories you might not be able to tell, some of the stories might be hard, but God sees it. And I I really do believe that it's the kind of thing where what God sees, he's going to say, man, Dan and Julia, well done, my good and faithful servants. Mm. May it be so. 
let's say somebody's listening and they're in a similar space. They or their spouse is in this long suffering of some medical issue and the prayers just seem to not go the way that they want them to go. If you could say something to them right now, what would you want to say? As you were talking just a moment ago, the proverb came to mind that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Mm. And we have no more faithful friend than Jesus. When he applies the wound, just know that it's coming from a heart that is loving. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Man, everything he does is coming from his essentially loving character and his kindness toward us, even these difficult things that he will also, you remember, he's the one who led his disciples out into the middle of a storm that threatened their lives. You know, he's the one who he himself was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He's the one who, by the way, I mean, he's sovereign over all of it. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he reigns right now. And he's reigning in your situation. Never think that things are out of control is what I would say. Number one, that he is absolutely in control. Number two, recall the stories. Recall Jairus's story. He's coming to the Lord saying, Lord, my little girl, she's at home. She's going to die. She's on her way out. And then Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you. But then he stops Mm -hmm. to minister to another woman who's been struggling for over a decade with this blood issue. And he heals her. And if I'm Jairus, I'm thinking, what is he doing? He is wasting precious time. How inconsiderate of Jesus. And in fact, it appears that way, doesn't it? When he shows up at Jairus' house and there's weeping and wailing and all this commotion, he says, don't worry, she's asleep. And it's like, dude, these people know what a dead person looks Mm -hmm. like. She doesn't have a pulse. So what do you mean, Jesus? She's asleep. But what's he do? He goes in there. He works this miracle. Same thing with Lazarus. I mean, those stories are with Lazarus. He waits until his body's decaying in the grave. And so I need to remind myself of that. Mm -hmm. The timing has not been at all what I had hoped for. I anticipated. In fact, I remember sitting at our dinner table when I first announced to our girls, we're coming to the States because mommy needs to see some doctors. I didn't even use the word cancer at that time. And I can recall saying, I think four to six months, ballpark, we'll be back. We'll be back at it here. Call it naivety, call it blind faith. I don't know. Whatever the case, that's what I suspected. And here we are almost 16 months. I don't even know. I've lost track, you know, 16 months or so into this journey. And really, we're not seeing a way back at this point. We're bracing ourselves. We're hunkering down for an even further prolonged battle. So again, remember that Jesus is control. He's sovereign over every aspect of this. He's sovereign over when he heals, when he delivers, how he does so. And he's committed to his glory and he's committed to your good. In Lazarus's case, it says because he loved his people, because he loved Mary and Martha in particular, because he loved his disciples, he waited. Because he loved them. Why? Because he wanted to demonstrate his glory mm-hmm. in such a powerful way that was undeniable. Same as case all throughout the pages of Scripture. And so be encouraged that Jesus is in control. Be encouraged that he knows what he's doing. He is indeed infinitely wise, way wiser than we are. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. When he does, when house he does so, that's his prerogative. Mm-hmm. But we just keep appealing to him. He delights in our coming to him. He calls us to do so, to come to him persistently, yeah. to come to him unabashedly and just say, Jesus, Here we are, same prayer today. Heal, deliver, waiting for you, Lord. In the meanwhile, we worship you. That's what he wants from us. He wants our hearts. He wants our trust, and he's worthy of it. So that's what I'd say to whoever's out there sitting and suffering right now. Yeah, That story of Lazarus really is a beautiful one to capture how God can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, because what they were asking for and imagining is that Jesus would heal Lazarus. Jesus could have done that, He could have brought restoration to Lazarus, but instead he brought restoration to Lazarus and gave them a deeper understanding of what he could do, a deeper understanding that the impossible is not impossible. Or he said, like, 
they got what they wanted in the end and more. Yeah. Something that they didn't even know was on the table because now anything that seemed impossible before, any of the ways that they were limiting Jesus before, it was a little harder to do that after Lazarus was raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. When he was on the cross, I imagine Mary and Martha looked at him on the cross a little differently than some of the others because they still could have said, I don't know how he comes back from this. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how this can be redeemed. But he did the impossible before, so maybe there's something that he can do here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're invited to in our seasons of suffering is as we begin to see God work, it means in the coming journeys, mm -hmm. we can look at it a little different. Yeah. And even if we don't know what God's doing, we can at least say, but I know he can, mm -hmm. and so I'm going to watch. Well, as we close out, is there anything else that God's putting in your heart that you feel led to share? As you're sharing that, we look to Jesus, we look to him and his miracle, we look to him and what we know that he's able to do because he's shown himself able to do so in the pages of scripture and again, throughout history. But ultimately, we look to Calvary. Mm. I mean, we look there because I've said to myself, if there is an undeserving person of being afflicted with cancer, it is my wife who has sought the Lord and walked in purity and just been faithful since her youth. If anybody deserves it, it's me who voluntarily poisoned my body for a decade, et cetera. You know? mm. But then we're reminded, wait a second, the least deserving, the least deserving person who ever stepped foot on this planet was King Jesus. And yet he endured all that for us. But one of the things that I've thought about lately, Paul, and I, I will close with this, is that his suffering was the suffering to end all suffering. However, <laughs> we're waiting for that day to come. In the meanwhile, his was a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Is that what we know? But his suffering was not in this temporal space that we live in, the suffering to end all suffering now. We know that he'll give us the sneak previews of that kingdom to come when he does step in and heal miraculously, when he does raise the dead, et cetera. He's giving us a sneak preview of what is to come, but that does await us. We're in this tension. We're in this already, not yet. And so to think that the Christian life is to have it the easy way that is exempt from suffering is just a, is a gross misunderstanding of what the Bible clearly teaches. And so I'd say, look to Jesus on the cross. Know that he is a high priest who sympathizes with you in your weakness because he has been tempted and tried in every way that we are, yet he's been without sin. So come to him as one who identifies a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief and know that none are exempt. I've preached this message. I've taught this several times throughout this past 16 month journey as I've had opportunities to minister in churches that none of us are exempt. All of us are called to a cross carrying, self-denying, following after Jesus lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That's it. But I love that song. I think it's Cody Carnes or something, right? If the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. That one line always strikes me when we worship and sing that song. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, Paul. Just, man, I pray blessing on all the listeners and on you. Thanks for giving me this space and for giving others the space to share about how God is sitting with us as a faithful friend as we sit in our suffering. The Apostle Paul is no stranger to ministry being stifled by suffering. In fact, we find a fitting story in Acts 16. Now, up to this point, Paul had been faithfully serving Jesus, seeking ways to give of his life to tell others about who Jesus is and how he could give them full life. In fact, Paul had laid out an entire plan to go through the area of Asia until the Holy Spirit prompted him to go in the opposite direction. They faithfully responded and at one point found themselves being harassed by a girl who had a negative spirit within her. 
In fact, after days of her harassing them, Paul became annoyed and commanded that the spirit come out of her. Well, this angered the people who owned her as a slave as they had made money off of that spirit. So they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them before the rulers, and made accusations against them. Then the crowd joins in in attacking them. The magistrates tear off their garments and give orders for them to be beaten. And after they're beaten, Paul and Silas are thrown into the inner prison and their feet are put in stocks. In other words, the Apostle Paul changed his plans to follow the Spirit's guidance and found himself sitting in suffering within a prison cell. But again, the Apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering. And what happened next likely caught their cellmates off guard. Starting in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So let me paint the picture here again. The Apostle Paul was trying to serve Jesus. He had a plan for ministry. The Spirit prompted him to change that plan, which led him to a place where he was harassed, falsely accused, wrongly persecuted because he was a Roman citizen that should not have been treated like that, and tossed into prison. And there may have been many at that moment who began praying fervently that he would be released from prison so that he could continue his ministry. But his ministry wasn't in or out of prison. It's wherever the Spirit was leading. And in that moment, the Spirit led Paul and Silas to that prison so that their ministry could be to the jailer and his entire household. It was in the midst of this unjust suffering that Paul and Silas found a new ministry, one that required them being in chains and rejecting the freedom from suffering that seemed to be offered to them when the earthquake opened the cells. Their suffering gave them an audience that they wouldn't have had otherwise. That jailer likely spent all of his time either in the jail or in his home, with little opportunity to hear messages like Paul and Silas's. So what did God do? He gave Paul and Silas an opportunity to serve him, even if it meant unjust suffering. He invited them into something unconventional, not sermons in the temple or by the river, but praying and singing with their feet in stocks. And though their bodies were racked with pain from the beatings, they remained ready and willing to serve as God led. Their new ministry behind bars transformed the life of the jailer, his entire household, and countless people that we'll never know about as the jailer and his family shared what happened to them. This is the big invitation. Perhaps like Dan, you had been giving of your time, energy, and efforts to serve God only to find a season of suffering stopping everything. Perhaps you have felt frustration when hardships have made a ministry grind to a halt. In those moments, you can think, God, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. So why are you stopping everything? But your true ministry isn't to do a thing or to be in a place. 
but to serve God however and wherever he leads, including in the midst of suffering. Because it's in that space that you may encounter someone that is in desperate need of the hope that God has given you to carry. You merely need to be willing to serve as God invites. Paul and Silas chose to pray and praise God even though their bodies had been beaten unjustly. And that positioned them to not think like humans who longed for escape, but to have the mind of Christ that can see those God loves in the midst. And so they remained in their cell and let the Spirit do his thing. If God isn't freeing you from your suffering, it could be that there is a ministry in the midst that he is inviting you to. One where you could see him do abundantly more than you're asking for or imagining. So seek that ministry in the midst. And as you do, ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?